0: Welcome to Decoding Careers, a podcast to help software engineers transition into a leadership role.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Decoding Careers. I'm Sam Yates, your host and the software engineering recruiter. Now, throughout this podcast, as you're aware, we're having insightful conversations with several engineering leaders who are at the forefront of technology. Today, I'm excited to announce that I've got Nadav Yagev on the show to join me and to talk about his experiences and how he's transitioned from a software engineer into a, an engineering leader. Now, Nadav is a software developer executive with a passion for creating innovative solutions that shape the future. Now, he's got over a decade of experience in the Israeli IT industry And the has led teams to develop pioneering technology solutions for government agencies, financial organisations and major airlines. But it doesn't stop there. Also, as a tech startup founder, Nadav has owned a deep commercial and strategic understanding of business, empowering teams and fostering supportive cultures critical to scaling in rapid growth environments. So really interesting leader on today's show. Now, Nadav is currently the CTO of a business called Blueberry Markets. Now, for those of you that don't know, Blueberry Markets is a broker that was founded in 2016 by former Axie Trader executive Dean Hyde. The company has a passion for providing traders around the world with a superior platform, ultra tight spreads and demonstrated commitment to supporting their clients 24-7. Now they've actually got over 30,000 traders and counting and Blueberry Markets is now Australia's most trusted broker and provides opportunities to trade thousands of instruments across a range of global markets. Pretty impressive numbers. Now absolutely thrilled to have you on our show Nadav to share your insights and expertise with us.
0: Welcome to the show. What a glorious introduction. Uh, I think it's the best one I've ever had, so thank you. And I know that you're going to read it verbatim, by the way. I would have um, probably rephrased <laughs> and sent you something else, but um, much appreciated, man.
1: No worries at all. And um, as I mentioned to you before we came in the show, the dad was actually one of the first people that I hit up for the podcast. And I remember, I remember you coming back to me and I remember having a quick call straight away and said, look, I don't really know what I'm doing. This is the first time I've done a podcast, but this is what the problem I'm trying to solve uh, and I remember from that call that you was really passionate about leadership, about culture, and about getting the most out of people through your sort of leadership style as well. But yeah, I remember I remember that call pretty well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I didn't always want to be a leader. Like, um, I think only after I moved to Australia is that it kind of hit me a little bit that there's, um, there's a deficiency when it comes to tech and leadership. So, full disclosure, I started my, my career in the army, right? So, one of the interesting things about the army in general, not just the Israeli army, but any army, is that armies are really great upskillers in the sense that you have to work with usually not a great human material because everybody ends up in the army, regardless of where you come from society. And you have to train them, sometimes to do very complicated jobs. I trained people in the army to conduct 12 field operations actually cut people open and sew them together. And the people I taught to do that, some people never finished high school. Okay, so I was very fortunate to be taught and trained in leadership. Didn't appreciate at the time. At the time, I just did what I was taught. But also, when I started working in the Israeli industry, I took for granted that everybody in Israel has been to the army. So everybody has been training, or a lot of people have been training leadership. So I never felt like I wasn't heard or I wasn't part of a great team. And then I moved to Australia, and when I moved to Australia, I had the privilege of working with great people, very smart people, some of which have PhDs, but they weren't great leaders. Through no fault of their own. It, they weren't great because nobody taught them how to be a leader. If nobody taught me mathematics, I wouldn't know mathematics. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm dumb or not. It just means that I was never taught it. Nobody's born with knowledge, Was what I like to say to all engineers or everybody I, I work with. So I suddenly realized when I moved here that I was kind of fortunate to be trained in leadership. And then there's also an entire industry where most people are great engineers. And because they're great engineers, they get promoted into this role where they now have to do something they have no idea how to do, which is deal with people. It's kind of ironic. It's like these software engineers actively choose to work with computers and not with people. And suddenly they get promoted and as a reward. They get to do the exact thing that they were avoiding literally their entire careers. And they're expected to do a good job at it too. So I pick up the, the glove and I figured, you know what, if I, at the very least, if I can have great leaders... Or if I'm not fortunate enough to have great leaders, I'll try to be one for other people. Uh, so it's kind of how, how I landed myself into this kafafo that is, <laughs> that is uh, leadership and yeah. somehow ended up in executive leadership.
1: Yeah, no, interesting background there, especially I think what the army does provide. Because my old father was, uh, my old man, is if he's listening to this, he's going to think, why do you call me an old man? So my, my dad was in the, in the infantry and we've uh, moved around the army most of our lives. And it just gives you structure, like you said, the training, the development. And the, and again, you're not going to get better leadership skills than the army. Um, so I think it's a really good place for you definitely just to, to start your career. Quite an unconventional start to your career. De- re-
0: definitely different. Unconventional if you're not in Israel. Yeah. yeah otherwise, it just talks standard. <laughs>
1: yeah, 100%. 100%. So, yeah, look, thanks for that quick introduction. It's good to sort of get the audience up to speed of, you know, a bit of a glimpse of your background and sort of where you started and and where you are now. Now, the way I always like to start the show is, take me back to when you wrote your first line of code.
0: Right. Pokemon website. I was 12, I think. (laughs) Um, For those of you uh, software engineers out there, I I did uh, create a website. I remember I had a Pokeball which is the thing that the Pokemon sits in, and it was image mapped. So if you hovered something, like it would change. And it was great. That was we're talking two two and a half decades ago. I was very proud of being able to do that. Ironically, at the time I thought as much as I was, I am proud of it today. At the time when I did that, one of my best mates, who's two years later will become a very senior engineer at Google for is now a decade and a half working at Google when I was doing that, he was doing recursive, uh, he was writing recursive pieces of code. We we were very young when we did that. So I always thought I was playing catch-up. So I thought I was I was dumb. Or not, not as, maybe just average, right? It just, it took me a decade later to realize how fortunate I was to be able to pick this skill set up so early and make a career out of it. And I was also very fortunate in, in that I love it. There's... A lot of people, when you go into software engineering for profit, and I'm not criticizing anyone who does anything for profit if they go into a specific career for profit, but when you do it for profit, it's, you probably look at code and I'll be very assuming here and I'll say, you just want to get a job done. When I look at a piece of code, I look at a piece of art. How can I make it prettier? How can I make it more efficient? And there's, when I look at it, there's form to me. I look at form and I'm thinking, I can make it more elegant you know, or simplify or do something like that. Part of me thinks of it as more of a piece of art that I'm generating opposed to something that does a job. That's where the engineer part comes in and says, well, we have tools to solve problems, right?
1: So on that then, do you think there's software engineers out there that are solely motivated by just profit? Like have you met a few software engineers on your journey where you've recognised that? A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And again, not an insult. I mean, most people I know are not philanthropists. They don't work for free. But I will just say as a matter of anecdotal evidence, if anything, people who are passionate about things that they do end up being better at it because they're passionate and they don't just do it for the eight hours. They'll do it for the other 16 hours a day that they have in the day because they love it. That's what they do. I used to come back home from school and either write code or play video games or write code to cheat at video games. So... (laughs) It was my entire world, and I enjoyed every second of it. I benefited from it. I can say now that I've benefited from it. If you don't do that, if you spend all things being equal, if two people are equally intelligent and one person spends twice as long doing something, all things equal, that person would also be twice as good. right? So definitely, I think, if you do something just for profit, you'll be at a disadvantage. That said, though, I, there is a statistic out that I've been carrying with me for quite some years now. Is that, and I, I say this to everyone, not just engineers, if they want to get if they want to progress or get promoted in life, is that all you have to do is just work 10% more than the average person in the environment that you operate in. If it's a high, highly skilled, highly intelligent environment, perhaps, might be a bit challenging. But if it's just an average environment, you only have to do 10% more. Yeah, and statistically speaking, you're probably going to be likely to get promoted.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. And I've had these conversations on a few of
1: the episodes as well. This is Obviously, between just being a software engineer and then being a leader, two different challenges you're going to get thrown at you. And I think if you're just going to become a leader for the money, you're in trouble. Um, I think you've got to be... Because yeah, a lot of people want the pay rise. They go, oh, great, i get an extra 20 grand. But you've got to have a passion for getting the most out of other people rather than just being solo
0: and also the leadership, the management skills as well that come with that. Such an interesting statement. So when I became a team lead, so I was the youngest team lead in Matrix was at the time the company I was working for. Matrix is at the time was massive, was 5,000, 6,000 employees. Today it's 20,000. It's a largest IT organization in Israel. Um, when I was promoted, I was either one of all the youngest team lead at the time and I had a thought and my thought was I can't fail at this because even if none of the people in my team do their jobs I can do all their jobs better than them so we will be okay that's exactly what a dealer should not be thinking and that's also one of the biggest causes of stress when it comes to managers especially new managers and leaders now the biggest challenge is that being a cause of stress is one thing if you do it and you don't have the passion and the compassion for the people that you work with, what you really end up doing is micromanaging them. Now think about that. Like you will be, you probably promoted because you are a really great engineer, if you're an engineer, like really great engineers. So obviously you can do the people's job, your people's job for them, because that was why you promoted, because you're that good. But that's not what's going to make you a great leader. So you can't just pick up their work and do it. Because there's one of you, and depending how large your team is, could be up to 12 of them. So then you suddenly have this. I had this moment in my career where I realized, like, crap, like, there's all these people now. I can't compensate for all of them. So, how do I get them to do better? Because if they fail, I fail. And that's, I think, if you get to that point and you have this realization and you don't have the compassion for the people, it's very easy to become a micromanager and actually step on and destroy careers. Nothing can demolish a career more than having a horrible leader and a horrible manager in a very early on part of your career because you'll pick up bad habits and then you'll have bad experiences. You won't trust that people will have your best interests at mind, especially your leaders. It's just, it's very, very damaging. And also if you're the manager in that position, holy moly, the the stress, you you will not sleep. And depending on the company that you work, I used to work for a company that had a TV screen and every time something broke, it turned from green, to yellow, orange and then red and the moment it was anything but green the CEO, if he saw it it would grab the closest manager and, and just stand behind them not even going to say anything just stand behind them and try to look how they deal with it and how they fix it because every every gradient of that screen every time it changes the company loses money that is not great and that's very stressful I was put in that position I was also very fortunate to learn that when I was in that position, the thing that I learned was this is where great leaders slow everything down. Most software engineers that don't want to go into leadership, for instance, they actually don't function very well under stress. So it doesn't help creating urgency in a stressful environment on top of them, because they'll just be half as quick as they can be. It's really about providing the environment that they need to solve the situation as quickly as possible. And sometimes that's creating breathing room, Right. So I don't know, I have not yet seen the skilled person that can do that if they don't have the compassion for people, um, because compassion comes first, the skill comes later. So when we say people are natural leaders, for instance, we don't say that they were born with skill. Nobody's born with anything. It's just that they probably have the characteristics or traits that complement a great leader, which is, in this particular case, caring for people. If you care for people and you also do this for the money, kudos to you. Like maybe you should be a leader no matter what the industry is.
1: Yeah, no, really, really interesting points there. And just on that then, so if you had to provide the listeners with two, what are the most two important, I know there's a lot to get through, but if you had to pick your top two that makes a good leader,
0: in your opinion, what would they be? Okay, I'll, I'll preface this. I'll preface my answer with this. So everything that I say, every trait that I have that I use or utilize, and I say this to everyone I mentor or engage with, I do because it fits my personality and the way I do things. I often say that I might not be the cleverest of people, but I have a nice smile. So when I smile, you know, I can get away with murder. You do have a nice smile. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) so when I smile, I can get away with murder. What about mine? Oh. <laughs> the smile might not be there, but a the handsome face, nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reality is that I do think the things, while I can get away with a smile, some people might be intelligent enough to not having to smile or have a They'll just be intelligent enough not to get in that hole in the first place, right? So my opinions are forged in my experiences, and how I did things and what got me to where I am. So that's the disclaimer for anybody listening. The most important thing is first be a continuous learner. No matter what you do, accept that nobody is born with knowledge, is that we need to learn new things every day. And I'm of the opinion that if you are not being better tomorrow than you are today, you're actually going backwards. So I think for me, every time I'm, came into a situation where I was I didn't know what to do the fact that I accepted that it's okay not to know and I will learn now so that I will know for next time every time I had to do a job even if it was negotiating contracts which has nothing to do with technology all the way to negotiating or talking about parking tickets in an organization for whatever the case is right so long as I knew that it, it's okay not to know and it's okay if I learn now and I rem- I'll know for later that's good enough Um, You will run into a lot of things, especially in executive career, that are outside the remit or the bounds of what your professional career is. Especially once you get into boards, anything from you can be a great technologist, but then sitting on a board is a whole different kettle of fish. What is the expectation? What are the legal obligations? It really does. It's okay to not know. So that that's the first thing. Continuous learning is really really important. And the second thing that I, I will say is, I'll say two and a half things so the second thing I will say is the second most important thing is to just enjoy it if you're doing this and you don't like it go do something else when you do something and you don't like it it leaks there's only so long that you can hold things under a a facade or a a mask and the moment it leaks out as a leader everybody sees it and everybody sees it because they look up to you so it's the worst thing uh, that can happen so these are the, the two things. I, I will say I said two and a half things. And the one half thing that I, that I will say is more of a personality trait than anything else is that I hope you would have a personality to deal with stress. It's stressful. Having people's livelihoods on your shoulder is stressful. It's always great when things go great and you're making a lot of money. But sometimes you don't make a lot of money and you have to have very difficult and challenging conversations. I know that when I just started, all the gray hairs I came, I say it came from the kids. It didn't. Actually, I think it came from all the different situations I was in that I didn't expect to even experience our stress. And it's ironic, by the way, because I can sleep like a baby being shot at. But if I'm in a very stressful business environment, my body just reacts differently. So I learned... To not only accept our stress, I actually kind of enjoyed it now. It's like a sport for me. It's it's almost like when we engage it, okay, this is a challenge. How do we meet this challenge as a team? And really, when I look at the operating environment and the brilliant team that I'm I'm fortunate to be a part of now, I think we all share that. I think every time we have a challenging situation, it's almost like excitement. How do we how do we solve this? You know, if you have this, fantastic. That's exactly the environment you should probably be in. Otherwise, think twice. It's okay to say this is not for me. Like uh, A lot of people think that executive career and leadership is the only path for them to progress. That's not true. There's, you can be an, uh, a brilliant professional. You can be a solutions architect. You can be even an executive without anyone reporting into them, uh, just a professional executive, and make a massive impact and be part of a massive leadership team, uh, a brilliant leadership team, uh, and, and that's okay. So just... My advice is: be very honest with yourself. If you're, if this is something that you think about that you want, and then figure out, is this really for me?
1: Yeah, no, really, really good insight, sir. Thanks for for sharing that. I thought the stress was more from the golf shots when, <laughs> when you were seeing off. That's
0: only when I found out how bad I was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, the main one of the main purposes of this show is to help engineers make that transition now. What I've noticed from speaking to senior engineers is there's normally sort of three things that could, um, I'm not going to say stop, but might hinder them from making the the transition. Skirt scared of moving away from the tech, the leadership management skills that they're lacking, but then also the business that they're in. Because I think depending on what business you're in, some business will push you into a leadership role just to keep you as a retention strategy which obviously I don't agree with, and I'm sure many other people don't agree with. What's your opinion on that? And what what do you think is the biggest obstacle that is maybe stopping software engineers transition quicker?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very composite question, so I'll try to break it down a little bit. So the technology bit is very interesting because I had a thought at some point um, when I was a middle manager, like an engineering manager, and I, I thought to myself... Right here, right now, at the time, I am a lesser engineer than what I was at this point last year, for instance, yeah? And that's quite aggravating. I I built my entire career and the entire foundation for who I am, for the love of technology and making things easy using technology. So it's very confronting to think to yourself, I've gone backwards, Even before I had kids, I had no excuse for no time. I just was a manager. So I was focusing on manager things. After I had that thought, it was a bit like an internal battle in me ensued. And I had to think to myself, what's happening next? Is this important enough for me to just make a pivot and go back to being a professional coder, solutions architect, whatever the case is? Or is that actually okay? Or is this it's even inevitable, because I actually heard a great term today. One of the people I talked to today described themselves as post-technology and post-engineering, as in that's who they were, and in the past, the operative were. They're not; It's not who they are now. I think it's a bit harsh, but what I realized is that, for me, the, the, the moment the battle was waged and it was settled, it came down to, it's okay. I know less about the current technology, but I know better now how to wield technology. Technology is a means to an end. It's not the end, it's not the goal. It's just a way to do something. It's a bit like the tool you use, if, if I have food in front of me, then knife and, and the cutlery are the tools that I would use. Do I have to use them? No, maybe this tomorrow is gonna to be a better tool. So I don't have to know every crevice of that fork and knife, right? I just need to know that these are the tools. And in the in the case that we don't have these tools, there'll be other tools and there's other things that we can do. And then instead of focusing on the tools, I focus on the problem and this particular problem I want to eat, right? Without getting dirty, hopefully. So I went through that process and I was actually quite happy with the answer. Like it was good enough for me. I was like, yes, that's good enough. And that's also probably on the, in the same year is when I founded my video game studio, because I realized, you know what, I don't have to be the individual contributor. It's now time for me to learn the next thing that is in my career, which is business and understanding how businesses work, how p work, how the legals of it work. Maybe experience a little type, a different type of situation with hiring people, paying them out of my own pocket changes your perspective. Uh, when you're hiring manager in an organization, it's not your money Sure, people ask, oh, if it were your money, would you spend it? And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Trust me, when it's your money, the decisions become very different. And I'm a, I'm a better leader. I'm a better entrepreneur today. I'm a better manager for it. So that's how I settled that part of the tech stack. And I have my best mate, by the way, had a very similar, went through a very similar process and he ended up with, he doesn't want all this entrepreneurship garbage. He doesn't want this leadership thing. He doesn't care for it. And he's a senior DevOps engineer at Canva. He's happy as a person can be. So it's not like one answer is better than the other. It's just how you settle the score when it comes to that thought process. So what was the second part of the question I
1: think of? The transition in part, why do you think people aren't sort of making that transition sooner? Is it the, the skirt of them moving away from the tech? Do you reckon it's a lack of support with management leadership? It can be a combination.
0: I think it's a very much a scale of reasons for why people or why people do people things, yeah. right? For some, it's opportunity. By the way, I, haven't, I know as many engineering managers that went back to being developers after trying their hand as those who continued on in their career to become career leaders and career managers. It's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. Um, But I think a lot of people don't realize that you can try your hand and it's okay to say, I've tried it, it's not for me. I'll move on, I'll do something else. Some people think that the moment they commit, they have to do it. Now, there's another thing that nobody almost ever talks about is that, and that's true not only for engineering, by the way, it's true for every person who gets promoted from an individual contributor to a leadership or management role, is that the peers that you start, your friends, might not report into you. They might not accept you as a leader because just a day ago you were their equal. Now you're the manager. Why should they accept you? So the experience of being promoted in a company to a leadership role is actually quite different to being to starting a role in a different company as that role. Because you're accepted. That that's all the people in that new organization know you as. I've experienced it here. It can be very unpleasant. So I think that also might be a deterrent for some. And it look, at the end of the day, it all goes back to, I think there's no polity. I think if you look at technology as a career, and not as a job, not as something that you do today and that's it, you just take home the bacon and that's all. And if it's just a job for you, good for you. Uh, I think it's a lot less stressful and it's a very peaceful way to go through life. Uh, but if you view it as a career, give it a shot. If you don't like it, there's other paths that you can take. Mm. Give it a shot, especially if you're very good with people. Uh, Seldom do we get in technology, great leaders that are also passionate about being impassionate, you know?
1: Yeah, no, interesting. Now, question that that I'd like to ask is if you had your time again, maybe
0: as a leader, what would you do differently? I believe that every experience in life, Is good or bad? Is a step you took to get to where you are today? If you like where you are today, then you shouldn't change anything in the path. Have I had very challenging situations? Sure. Have I done things I'm embarrassed by? Sure, 100%. Could I have made more optimal decisions in some situations? Without a doubt. I don't regret any of them. I like my life. I like... When I wake up in the morning, arrogant, maybe vain, I like who I see in the mirror. So I like my wife. I like the person I share my life with. I like my kids. You know, I'm very fortunate to have two kids. So it's when I look at life, are the things that I want to improve? 100%. And I will work every day to improve them. But I am fortunate enough that I have not damaged my life irreversibly thus far. And I like what I see so far. So I wouldn't change anything. Everything that I've done was a learning exercise that got me to where I am today. So I wouldn't change anything. And, and I, I do suggest to people a lot of goes to conversation we had before regarding being nervous and having a fear of public speaking. I have a massive fear of public speaking. Am I embarrassed by some of my, am I cringed every time I listen to the first podcast I've ever done? Yep. I wish nobody ever heard it, but without having gone through that experience, I would not have been able to have great subsequent conversations that I've had. So I might be an optimist looking at life as every experience is something that I learn from. But look, the reality is that the world we are living in is ever more connected. And you know what? When you look beyond the frame of TikTok or YouTube or whatever it is that you choose to look at people, nobody's perfect. There's no reason to strive for perfection, just to strive to be better. So that's a belief that makes, for me, makes life a lot more acceptable and easier to go through. If it ends up being a lie or something, I'm happy with that lie. Yeah, there we go. And
1: that's definitely brownie points if the missus listens to this, or the wife, sorry.
0: Yeah, 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 (laughs) she might.
1: (laughs) No, perfect. Okay, and lastly, or probably second to last, so maybe... Talk to the audience a bit about what you're doing now, briefly, and then also what's next for Nadav. What does the, what
0: does the future look like? Interesting question. Okay, so what I do now, I lead a technology and product for Blueberry Markets. It's a fancy way of saying that I'm responsible for all the technology, all of our offerings, uh, enabling the business to then in the future being very customer centric. We have a brand promise that we get to all customer queries within 30 seconds. It's a massive promise considering the amount of people, amount of traders we have and the level of professionalism you need to deal with every trader. That's what I do today. I do that through a lot of different vehicles and mechanisms, but mostly by having very clever people working uh, for me and with me to get a job done. That's just the reality of it. What's next? When I interviewed for this role, One of the things that I said to the managing director was, if you give me this role, you should know that this is the last job I ever take. Because, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur. And second, I am really bad at sales and I'm really bad at marketing. But I know a lot of product people and a lot of technologists. And when it comes to making things and solving problems, I can do all of that. I just can't sell it. I am very fortunate now to not only know great marketing and great salespeople, also call them friends, good friends. So what's next? If and when we grow the business to such a, de- a degree that I'm no longer needed, um, I'll start a new business and I'll do it with the people hopefully with the people that I am very much enjoy working with right now. And again, I feel very privileged. I have not had this very diverse group of friends that I would like to also do business with ever before. So... Hopefully, that's what's going to feature.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. We well, can tell that you're, you're generally enjoying the role at Blueberry. Uh, I know we had a few conversations before about the culture and the business. And for anyone that's listening, especially the software engineers, you know, the, these guys, are making a good name for themselves. Sounds like they've got a great culture. And put it this way, you know, dab's in the office at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. most mornings, um, which shows you how much he's enjoying it. So yeah, look, anyone that's listening, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, to share your, your insights. Um, you've given some really good insights there about leadership, um, some valid opinions as well about, you know, how people should feel or what they should be doing differently. And, and you know, if, if you do step into leadership role and it's not for you, that's not the end of the world. Everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses. And maybe you might have to take two steps back before you go three or four steps forward.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It's not even a step back. Just having the experience under your belt, at the very least, you'll be able to negotiate a better next role. So there you go. That That's a bonus as it is. And any experience in our industry will make you a better professional, if not only by the sheer fact that you understand now more things that you never understood before. So maybe you'll be able to communicate better to your stakeholders. Maybe you'll be able to manage up, even if you're not going to end up as a manager. The fact that you're not a manager doesn't mean that you don't have to manage. Everybody manages something, whether it's expectations when you give timelines, whether it's people when you manage up or down or both. So I think the experience, if you take it as a positive one, it will be.
1: Perfect. Well, Adav, thanks for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Yeah. Do a little cheers. Hey, cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. Been a pleasure.
1: You've been listening to Decoding Careers with Sam Yates. This podcast is proudly brought to you with the support of recruitment agency, Discovered People. To find out more, go to discoveredpeople.com.au.